Yep. Want your mic? I need this. Go. Kind of need that microphone, Melissa. Yeah, it's you know, I'm amateur people, hour here tonight. The people need to hear you. It's an important thing. I've got so many important things to say. It might be the last time they ever hear me. Yeah. You guys uh, are not aware. This is KB's probably uh, final podcast of the 2018 season. As we oh. later this evening, he will be needing this right here, folks. It's not going to be good. Challenge. It is better than a barbecue sauce covered t-shirt. This is friend. true. This is true. We're going to get into the details of that in just a little bit, but this is the Frogs War podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Treepwasser. And we are here in the midst of a TCU bye week to chat a little bit about the Horn Frogs and what they've done to this point. Uh, and what they haven't done. And, and what they haven't done. You're absolutely right. They are three and two. Um, could, with, be five and oh. could be 5 and 0. Oh. Could two, also probably two, be 1 and 4. <laughs> two winnable two winnable games that they lost, a losable game that they won. Uh, a couple losable games that they won there I, I suppose if you consider the weather of the SMU game. We're going to talk about all of that in just a moment, but first uh, you know, I'm going to be doing the one chip challenge tonight. We've got uh, it, it, like Melissa said, it's right here. It's a lot bigger than I thought it was. I'm just holding the box. It's a lot of chip, folks. Uh, and you kind of open this up. It's got a lot of words on the inside, but there's one. Here's the actual chip. Uh, but on the inside of the box, I'll hold this up for our Facebook Live people. It says, any last words? Uh, the Reaper is waiting. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, the, the One Chip Challenge is a uh, challenge that became popular last year, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, <clears throat> where you eat one tortilla chip, and it's covered in Carolina Reaper and ghost pepper and uh, chipotle pepper powder, which I don't feel like adds anything when you've yeah, already got it's Carolina it's Reaper pepper and ghost flavor. pepper on there. But, but uh, Carolina Reaper is the hottest pepper in the world. It rates at about 1.5 million on the Scoville scale. And for some context there, a jalapeno, a really hot jalapeno, will get to about 8,000 on the Scoville unit. So this is 1.5 million. Uh, we're going to get into all of that at the end of the podcast so that I don't not do the podcast and just sit here weeping. Um, but, so before I injure myself, Melissa... Let's talk about some TCU football injuries. That is an A plus segue. That's why we keep Thank you around. I even typed it into like yeah. the I typed it into the run sheet and everything. Wow. So uh, obviously there are a couple of big injuries to talk about. First and foremost is Sean Robinson, quarterback. Uh, he took a huge, huge hit on the final drive of the game on Saturday night against Iowa State. Uh, was down on the field for several minutes as they worked on his left arm area. Um, it is believed to be a shoulder injury, but we haven't heard much in the way of, uh, you know, a formal confirmation of that. Patterson is notorious for not talking about injuries. Um, <clears throat> and so we don't really know what his status is. On the Monday Big 12 uh, teleconference, Patterson said he hadn't had an MRI yet. Uh, so he has not uh, been looked at in that way by a medical team. Um, and so they didn't really have an update. Realistically, though, Melissa, like, let's just let's, – let's do something dangerous and let's speculate a little bit. And let's say that he dislocated his shoulder. Okay. Say he took a hit, his shoulder popped out, they spent some time on the ground popping it back in, and walked him into the locker room. 
realistically, like, what's the timeline for return for something like that? I mean, he'll play against Texas Tech if that's... If that's really the case? Yeah, because it's, it's just location, as long as they can stabilize it, which nowadays they can do pretty easily by using braces and different things that he can wear underneath his jersey. It's a pain management thing more than anything. And since it's his non-throwing shoulder, it's it's not unrealistic that he would play against Texas Tech. And, and, and knowing him and, and how he's kind of fought through some injuries all season, I would expect him to do just that as long as there was no potential of him injuring himself further. That's fair. Well, I think that's the best news that TCU fans could hear, I think, regarding his injury, simply because, uh, you know, we, we had this same conversation with Sean Robinson and Kenny Hill last year about, oh, well, you know, we just need to give Sean a chance to show what he can do. You know, Kenny has his ma- major limitations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and realistically, now through five games this season, we've heard some of the same things said about Sean regarding the interceptions, the untimely turnovers, the decision-making on a couple of throws, the accuracy down the field. We're hearing some of these same things. And so a lot of people have already started clamoring for Michael Collins. Uh, and, and the question now becomes, like, is Michael Collins, was Michael Collins really close enough to being the starter that uh, you can give Sean the time that he needs to get healthy again? Or do you risk hurting him further and putting him back out on the field before he's 100%? Well, I think the, the you know the interesting thing in all of this too, a you have to make that decision, and I, I do think that the TCU is more apt to not play him if there's a legitimate risk of him injuring himself further. Right. I do think they'll say him, but but the thing that I found most interesting about the way this injury was handled after the game on Saturday was Patterson kind of immediately went to I'm going to be real upset if he misses some time because I've been asking Michael Coll- or for for them to get Michael Collins into the game more. Yeah, and get him more experience, and that he's obviously made that an important point, but it hasn't happened to this point. And you know, there have been a lot of discussion on Frogs of War on Facebook, on Twitter about how much of that is Gary's call, how much of that is Sonny's call. Is Patterson throwing Sonny under the bus in that instance, or is this just differing ideas? And, and obviously, we're never going to know the answer to those things. But at the end of the day, if Michael Collins does have to go, how many meaningful snaps has he taken this season? None. Really none. None, really. I mean, you look at what happened once Robinson went out to at the very end of the game, and you say, oh, okay, so what they did when their starting quarterback got hurt is they put their backup out at wideout, and they direct snapped to Shewo twice yep. and kicked a field goal. Now, that realistically could have been the plan regardless of injuries. Sure. yeah. Because you just remove your quarterback from the situation, you get a big-bodied running back in there who's good at holding onto the football this season. And you just kick the field goal, you win the game, you get out of there with a win. Uh, but there, will, I, there was already some question asking on Twitter about that, even as it was happening Saturday night. Like, oh, well, is that a signal of how little they trust Michael Collins? You know, why didn't they at least let him get in there and just hand the ball off? Like, is there some sort of, you know, bad, you know, like he's incapable of taking a snap even, which I don't think is the case. And, and so, you know, the questions have already started. Realistically, you know, when we had a chance to talk to a couple of guys after the Iowa State game, they all spoke really highly of Collins. You know, um, I, th- I can't remember who it was, but one of the guys in the room compared his arm. He said he's got one of the best arms I've Ty. ever seen. Ty Summers, Ty Summers yeah. said, unless you're maybe talking about Trevon Boykin. Uh, and so I think that there is a, there is talent there, there is skill there. We heard about it all fall. Um, and, but- and realistically, I think that you should be a little bit safer with Robinson, knowing that you have. What you, what you suspect is a quality backup. So I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Okay. 
So for, first and foremost, you're absolutely right. that they, they were probably planning to run the ball. And maybe when you put in a backup quarterback, the thought process is, let's take one instance out of the equation here. And instead of potentially risking a handoff and something going wrong there, just take giving it straight to a running back who has some experience, right? Sure, that makes sense. Shea only ran one wild frog play this season. Or this, that in, in that game, and there's really only run a couple so far this season. True, but it was in the Iowa State game. It was like a 19-yard gain on the third and one. But I'm just right? saying it's not something they've used a lot to this point, and so it was a little bit interesting to make that decision in the biggest moment when he's only done it once that game. True. So, second thing that I would say to that regard as well is if Gary Patterson has made a point of saying that he'd like to see more of Michael Collins, and in the two close games that TCU has played, we have not seen more of Michael Collins. Yeah. That speaks to me, speaks volumes, in that we're very used to Gary Patterson saying a new quarterback who's, who's in the running to be the starter is being tightly contested by the backup because we've heard it now for like seven consecutive years. Yeah. So I'm starting to feel more and more like maybe this wasn't as close a competition. And in the limited things that we've seen Michael Collins, it's obviously obvious that he has some talent, some ability, but it's not like he did anything in, in that series against Texas that made me go, oh, okay, I feel pretty good about that. And, and maybe yeah. that's the wrong moment to use, but it's really all we have to go on as far as taking snaps at a point in a game where he was being asked to do something productive. And the one good throw opportunity he had, it was, it was threw, 10 yards like, short. <laughs> right into the ground, yeah. So I, I think you have to be careful with Sean because at the end of the day, you're looking at a true sophomore who mm -hmm. is potentially the future of that position, who has untaught talent. But to say that we can just slide Michael Collins in and things will be the same or better, I, I don't know that we know that confidently at this point, and I don't know how we could. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we can say it with confidence. I think what we can assume is that he is a relatively talented guy. I mean, he also doesn't lack confidence, right? I mean, transferring out of the Wharton School of Business at Penn, where he was going to be a shoe-in to start for sure. Penn football, to, to come to a Power 5 school in Texas – uh, that has won more than 11 games three out of the last four years and compete for the starting job. I mean, you've got to have a little bit of self-confidence to be able to do that. And I for like sure. guys that have a little bit of swagger at that for position. Sure. I mean, look at Boykin as really kind of the classic example of a guy who had the talent but also had the confidence to go with it. Uh, and so I, I, I don't hope that we see Michael Collins because Robinson is injured for the long term. But I agree with Patterson. Like, I think... Seeing more of Michael Collins on the field isn't necessarily going to be a bad thing. I think you have I don't, to. I don't think yeah. it's going to prevent other injuries. Like, I don't really follow that line of thinking where you say, oh, well, if Sean's rotating out, like, he's not going to get hurt. I mean, there's less potential there. Sure, you're taking less snaps. You're taking less time on the field. There's ob obviously potential there. But I don't think that that is a preventative measure to keeping someone from getting hurt. Well, to me, what it comes down to is, as Patterson has been saying since August, you have to have two quarterbacks to win the Big 12. Mm -hmm. And if, if you have a running quarterback like Sean Robinson, who does take a lot of big hits, he lays out a lot of big hits as well. Yeah. But a guy like that, there's more of a propensity for him to get injured. And so you have to put Michael Collins in pressure situation to give him an opportunity to rise to the occasion or to find out that he can't. And, and I think you're right that he does have potential. He does have talent. He's a confident guy. He's a really intelligent football player. Mm -hmm. Let's give him a shot in some of those situational opportunities and see what he does. Because at the end of the day, we've only just begun the gauntlet of the Big 12. Yeah. You still have to play Oklahoma State. You still have to play Texas Tech. You still have to play Oklahoma. You still have to play at West Virginia. Yeah. Michael Collins is more than likely going to need to play at some point in a, in a game where, where there's something on the line. And we haven't given we haven't had an opportunity to see that yet. Yeah. I mean, and, and you make a good point there, too, because think about last uh, last season, or two years ago now, I suppose, 
three years ago now. Gosh, that Alamo Bowl was three years ago. Yeah. Uh, but or think about old. think about the experience uh, that Bram got in that Oklahoma game. Yeah. That really afforded him that opportunity to go out in the Alamo Bowl and have that first half that was not great and be able to fight through it and persist and get to the second half uh, and and lead the greatest comeback in TCU history, sure. right? So uh, you're not wrong in saying that playing time for a backup is important. Um, I definitely hear that. I also think that, and this goes back to you know our conversation preseason uh, right before the Southern game about getting guys who are going to be in those big moments, the reps that they need to perform well in those big moments, right? Like how do you make sure that Sean Robinson is ready to go to West Virginia and to play in Morgantown? How do you make sure that he's ready for a top five team in Oklahoma to come to town uh, and not to buckle under that pressure? Like we've seen now in consecutive second halves with the Ohio State and the Texas game, pressure maybe getting to him a little bit. And so how does that uh, experience – push him uh, to play better down the road? I mean, there's just a lot of questions when it comes to the quarterback position, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but at the end of the day, there's more that we don't know than there is that we know. Yeah. And, and that's going to happen when you have one quarterback who has six career starts, and you have one quarterback who has never started a Division One football game and has taken approximately five meaningful snaps in one. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we're at a point in October where we don't know how good this team can be or how good that position could be or how set we are at that position for the next several years. We just know there's a lot of opportunity for guys to go out and prove themselves and a yeah. lot of talent in the room. Yeah, there really is. There's a lot of talent, and that's a good, that's a good thing uh, when guys start to get injured. Um, one thing that we do know about an injury is uh, something that Patterson was able to talk to on Monday, and that's Kevontae Turpin. Uh, Patterson thought he was fine. Other than... Um, you're already coughing, and you have I've, not. I looked this at the box, yet. and yeah. I started to cough and die. Uh, no, but Turpin had a couple of stitches from that big non-targeting hit, uh, which we'll get into in a minute um, as well. Uh, we had a lot of questions about the targeting hit on Twitter and, and on Facebook today. Um, and for those of you watching live, leave questions below, and we'll answer those too. Uh, but he got a couple of stitches. He's banged up. He doesn't, as far as we know, have any kind of concussion symptoms or anything like that. Patterson said he was fine, so hopefully he'll be able to come out uh, fully ready to rock against Texas Tech our next game. Um, we have more people here that want to see this box. It's yeah. bigger than I thought it was. Uh, that, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. It's okay. a family-friendly show. It is a family-friendly show. The children are listening. The children. Um, but Turpin is fine. Other and we guys, saw him post-game, and he, he looked very Turpin. He looked, yeah. Yeah, he know, was fine. He was doing his thing. He had like 11 watches on. Uh, you know, you, other, you had a couple other guys who missed the Iowa State game as well. Nico Small and Cordell uh, Iwagu both didn't play. We don't really have any updates on them. Yeah, we know Nico's is a hamstring, um, and yeah. that is one of those things that could linger for yeah. days or weeks or potentially months. And so it's just something to keep an eye on. I would expect Nico to try to go against Texas Tech. Yeah, and even if he isn't able to go, I think we saw enough from Mark yeah, Simmons to really feel yeah. confident in his sure. ability. Like, he played well against Iowa State in, in, in place of Nico. Uh, and Cordell... Uh, we need him back. It, yeah, it, we, that it, offensive line. Looked offensive line was completely without different him without him in the game. Uh, he missed a, a significant portion of the Texas game too. I think he came out after the first or second and offensive series. And the running series. game went to absolute and the garbage running game when he left. Struggled. The pass protection struggled, uh, and that might have been part of the reason for the stagnant offense yeah. in Austin especially because they were adjusting on the fly. Obviously, with Iowa State, they had a week to prepare and still didn't look that great. 
Uh, but get well soon, Cordell, because we desperately need you back on that in that left guard spot plan next to Austin Myers, who also didn't start. And that's interesting. Uh, is thank that you, Anthony, Chris. Anthony McKinney, what is this? Oh, thank, thank you, Chris. You, we us. appreciate you we for you, the buddy. beverages. Only for did that reason. Did he phone that in? He did phone that in because that's something that Chris would do. That's, he feeds us on Saturdays. He sends us drinks human. on Wednesdays. If you want to meet Chris, who bought us Chris. shiners tonight and cooks for us every Saturday at the tailgate, come out to the tennis lot. We are in no the, the baseball the soccer lot. the <laughs> soccer lot and ten, yeah soccer, <laughs> soccer and, and baseball, baseball lot. Sorry, tennis. sports are hard sometimes. Yeah, come out to the to the soccer lot where the trailers are, the RVs are. I can't hear you, heckler. Uh, and and Chris makes some some incredible barbecue every Saturday. Yeah, it's and awesome. It's and he takes good care of your lovely Frogs of War. He takes care of Frogs of War. Yeah, in so many Speaking ways. Speaking of Frogs of War stuff, we are live podcasting here at Dutch's locker room tonight. It is a Wednesday night, and we have some Frogs of War stuff for Swag. people that are in the house tonight. We got some new stickers from the mothership to give away. So if you want to take a couple Frogs of War stickers, put them on a cooler maybe, or a water bottle, or on a laptop. You know, you can do all of those things with Bum. these. We also uh, bumped into the folks of Revolver Brewing, and so we've got some Revolver stickers tonight as well that you could also place on, say, a cooler or something. So shout out to Revolver yeah. Brewing Company for leaving some of those around for us to give away tonight. Um, so TCU's in a bye week, Melissa. Much needed. Much needed. Three and two wins over Southern, SMU, and Iowa State. Losses to Ohio State and Texas. Uh, we could go and dissect those games all over again. We could talk about how close TCU was to winning or losing any of those games. Uh, but I think for this, for the purpose of this podcast and for the purpose of this bye week, we should just kind of take a holistic look at this team through five games. We have that opportunity. Uh, so let's start by talking about the best singular moment of the season thus far. I, so I'm, I'm going to go kind of generic but a little bit off the beaten path in my reasoning here and that 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 kick sailing through the uprights against Iowa State is is one of my favorite moments of the year and and the reason being is we've had a lot of pressure kicks since Jaden Overcom graduated yeah and the results have been about 50 50 you know we've seen some some missed easy ones we've seen some made tough ones um, but watching Jonathan Song very confidently boot what was obviously a short field goal but with still a, less a pressure than 30 kick seconds though. to go a pressure and kick. and all of the game on the line and, and really in a lot of ways I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the season on the line for TCU uh, seeing that ball go through the uprights, seeing the offensive linemen stick their arms in the air, and the smile that John Song had after all that kid's been through, all the injuries that he's dealt with. He's lost the job. He's gained the job. It seems like it's back to being his. Yeah. Um, it was really neat to see that moment and, and to be on the field kind of directly parallel from what was going on in the line of scrimmage. Um, just his smile was one of, of relief more than anything probably in that moment. Oh, for sure. But uh, I think that that was if, – if, if TCU is able to kind of get back on track here and do some things the next couple of weeks, I think that that's going to be one of the signature turning points of the season. And, um, you know, if it, it could come down to, to being the difference. The other side of this is it could come down to being the difference between TCU making a bowl or not. Yeah. And so it's a huge moment, a huge kick, and a really ugly football game. Um, but, but seeing Jonathan Song's reaction after that ball went through is probably my favorite moment of the year. Yeah, I think that's a really good one just because it solidified TCU's win in that moment, and maybe that is the, the kick that can, kind of sparked this team moving forward, yeah. like you said. You Some know, that's, confidence, yeah. That's a good kind of confidence booster. For me, it's got to be 
Jets 93-yard touchdown run against Ohio State. I know they lost that game, but watching him hit that hole that Cordell Wagu busted wide open for him uh, and just take that ball and just dust the safety and go all the way down the left sideline, 93 yards on national TV against a blue-chip opponent, really in that moment kind of solidified the fact that TCU can play with anybody when they're playing well. Um, and it also solidified just how awesome of a running back Darius Anderson yeah. is. Got some questions about him on Twitter that we'll get to in a little bit as well. But that's my best moment of the season is just DA's 93-yard touchdown run, longest run from scrimmage in TCU history, longest run allowed by a defense in Ohio State's history until this past week against Penn State. Or I guess still, but it's now tied with a 93-yard touchdown pass uh, that Penn State threw this past week against Ohio State. But we've done best moments, now let's do worst moments. What's your worst moment of the season so far? Mine is uh, the fumble against Texas, the Sean Robinson fumble. TCU had the momentum coming out of the break. They scored that touchdown to take the lead. It looked like they were in control. They're making a great drive down the field. The ball gets popped out. It looked like it was as much the TCU offensive lineman as it was the Texas defender that made that ball pop out. But it seemed like that was the moment that completely changed the game where it went from TCU having all the momentum and, and moving forward in a really positive way to ending up eventually losing that game and kind of m- making us look at the season in a completely different light. So uh, that, that fumble, among many turnovers this year, that fumble is the one that, that's going to stick in my craw, I think, until December. And the being like, the, but if that hadn't happened, where would TCU be right now? Yeah, uh, at least 4-1 and one probably. Yeah. You know, I really do yeah. think that that touchdown would, would put them – uh, put them up to stay in yeah, that game. Yeah, they were able to you finish know, that drive. Yeah, would if have they finish that drive, they have the momentum. The defense gets a little bit more time to rest. They don't have to run out on the field. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. I, you know, for me, it's a play from Iowa State that really I feel encapsulates the entire offensive effort so far this year. Yeah, like you're going, you're going, you're going. Things are going really well, and then all of a sudden a turnover happens. And that's Artavius Lynn trying to hurdle a defensive back. I don't even know if you could say trying to hurdle for poor Artavius. Well, he jumped into a guy. <laughs> he, thought, he thought it. And then the ball popped 15 feet up in the air. You know, I don't – I still don't understand what he was thinking. I don't know that many people other than him know what he was thinking. But that was a brutally bad bad decision. Artavius Lynn's hurdle is the biggest argument against the law of attraction. <laughs> Because in that moment, Artavius Lynn really believed he was going to jump over. He wished himself into jumping he over that it. defender. He willed it into and existence. It didn't happen. And it didn't exist. Not even close. Thankfully, TCU won the game, or we would be, probably at this moment be talking about Artavius still running the stairs. Probably. Yeah. Probably. probably. He might actually be over there now running. Who knows? He might be. He might be. Uh, yeah. I, I still I – will, I will have questions about that play for many years to come. I did ask Mark Cohen if we could talk to him after the game, and he said no. <laughs> that was brave of you to ask. It was really brave. It was right after the field goal went through, so I felt pretty confident. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> we pretty, pretty confident that you're going to get the win at that point. Ask bold questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty good. All right. So let's move on to position grades. Let's start with the offensive line. Melissa, if you had to give a letter grade to the offensive line at this point in the season, what would it be? You know, I think if you're looking at, at the healthy version of the offensive line, they really have been solid. Um, you know, I, I think you kind of have to give them, you know, an A minus. The running game maybe hasn't been quite what you expected outside of a few moments. But at the end of the day, they've kept Sean Robinson clean. They've uh, they've opened up holes. They've had a good pocket. But, but with the Wagu out, a C? Yeah. 
I mean, it, I, like, I hate to say it, but it just has not been the same group with the wall glue down. They couldn't do anything. And, and Iowa State and Texas are really good defenses. And so it's not necessarily all on them. But at the end of the day, the running game was pretty putrid against Iowa State for most of the night. You know, it, yeah. it opened up late. But it was pretty bad. And they couldn't do anything against Texas. And so, um, you know, I think it's been better than expected. But it's definitely a group that, that doesn't have a whole lot of depth at this point in the year. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I think I'm going to go with the C plus just because they've they've shown maybe a B minus. They've shown sparks. They've shown yeah. that they're capable when they're when they're working together well, uh, you know. But at the same time, like even against SMU in that game, that was obviously it was bad weather. Uh, they were not creating a lot of running lanes for either yeah. running back, uh, and realistically, two now of Sean Robinson's fumbles have come because of bad blocking. Yeah, you know, when true. a quarterback drops back to pass and doesn't even have time to set his feet before he's getting hit in the back, then that's, I mean, you can only blame that on the quarterback yeah. so much. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you've got a guy that comes around the right tackle like he's not even there to hit you square in the chest, yeah, the likelihood is, is that you're going to drop the football. Uh, you know, the third fumble, Sean Robinson ran into an offensive lineman who was trying to block for him. Uh, so we'll, we'll put that one on Sean, but... Uh, you know, realistically, like, they just have not gelled yet. Yeah. Part of it is injuries. Part of it is probably the fact that they are rotating guys so frequently, sure. right? Like, you've got Austin Myers and Anthony McKinney who are basically splitting time at yeah. left tackle right now, and you can't expect a guy to get into a rhythm that way. You've got Wes Harris and Chris Gaynor who are both playing different guard positions at different times, trying to make up for Cordell's injury, but also just trying to figure out who's best suited for right guard. Uh, and realistically, like, the only two guys that I've seen any consistency from are Lucas Nyang and Kelton Holland. Yeah. Holland and is great, by the way. Holland has been fantastic. I mean, what a, he's a great uh, leader. You know, he's a great player. You have, you have Nyang who, who's missed, like, once or twice, including that Iowa State uh, play where, where Robinson fumbled the ball. But, um, you know, those are, that's two out of five who you can talk about who have been playing at a consistently above-average level. Yeah. More or less just average. And... And that's not going to be conducive to winning many no, football games. No, definitely not. Uh, next up, tight ends. We just got done talking about Artavius Lynn. If you if you take that hurdle out, I think the tight end has been more effective than it has in the last several years. And I know Parker's doing some work for us um, with his Thursday stat preview, uh, talking about how effective TCU has been when including a tight end in their yeah. offensive sets. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, Lynn looks like a talent. And there have been some other guys around him, too, that have stepped up. So I, I think... Compared to the last several years, you kind of have to give them a B plus, yeah. an A minus. I mean, they're 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 getting passes, they're they're making themselves open, they're doing a good job blocking and and helping out the offensive line. So I, I, it's not a position that TC uses a lot, but I've been happy with what I've seen outside of the hurdle. Yeah, I'd say a B. I'd say a B, a solid B. Uh, I I don't know that they get credit for being limited use yeah. guys. Um, I mean, obviously that gives you fewer opportunities to make mistakes. But like we learned on Saturday, that potentially makes a player feel like they have to do more when they sure. do get the ball. Yeah. Uh, and, and we saw the negative effect of that with Artavius Lynn. But let's be real. He's already got four receptions on the year. And I think that's more than a tight end has had in yeah. PCU's offense in, in the last while. three years. In a while. So, you know, you've got then uh, a guy who is obviously a little bit more involved because he's got some talent probably. Uh, he's had some big first down catches, um, 
and you can only hope that he continues to stay involved and continues to to do what the game provides him the opportunity to do and stop hurtling uh, sure, stop hurtling backs. people yeah yeah don't hurdle anybody else please Artavius uh, next up wide receivers Melissa your grade this is a really confusing confusing group to, to, to grade here um, I think that there's obviously there's a lot of talent but we haven't seen maybe the production that we expected and part of that probably has to do with the offensive line part of that has to do with the turnovers part of that has to do with the quarterback uh, they've been spectacular at moments but they've also not been spectacular at others. Been a lot of drops, yeah. a lot of drops, um, a lot of missed opportunities. Um, I think they're probably at a, at a B overall, but when you compare to the potential of yeah. what maybe we expected them to be, maybe slightly lower than that. Um, Jalen Rager has looked really good at times, but but he's definitely had some pretty crucial drops. It's obvious he's a talent, and, and the best is to come for him. I'd love to see Jalen Austin get more involved. Turpin's been great. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had one real bad drop this year, but otherwise he's been really, really good. Um, I, I need to see a second receiver. You know, we, we've talked about, you know, is it going to be Darius Davis? Is it going to be Tavalence Hunt? Is it going to be John Stevens Jr.? One of those guys really needs to step up and be that big target opposite Jalen Rager, and we just haven't seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So Rager's got 29 receptions through five games this year. He had 28 all of last year for like 405 yards. He's got 329, 359 receiving yards so far and two touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, I think Rager has honestly been about what we've expected him to be. He has had a couple of drops, like you mentioned, especially early in the season. But these last three games, he's looked he really solid. good. Yeah. He's looked like the one, number one receiver that we've all anticipated him being. Uh, I, I totally agree about Kevontae Turpin. My big question is where is Jalen Austin in yeah. this offense? I no, mean, this I is a guy who is a senior wide receiver. He's shown nothing but productivity when he's been given the opportunity over the last several years, and he's got six catches. Yeah. He's he's John, fifth, he should be John Diarth. He's fifth in this, He's fifth on the team yeah. in receptions. He's like 10th in receiving yards. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Where is he? And, he, he? and he's out there. I don't know if the plays aren't being called for him, if Robinson's not finding him, if yeah. he's a, a, the second or third option. But, yeah, he, he should be a bigger part of this offense, and, and there's no reason for him not to become that third-down guy that Robinson can lean on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, and I sat here before the season started as we were working up the, for the Southern game, and I said I thought that Jalen Austin was going to have a huge year. Yeah. I thought he was going to get close to five, 600 yards receiving. I thought he was going to be a big key player in this offense. But – Realistically, in his stead, it has been more of Jarrison Stewart, yeah. uh, who has been kind of that third-down guy, who yeah. has been that short, quick, slant guy who's gonna get gonna get the ball quickly and, and do something with it in space, similar to Rager and Turpin, even though those guys are bigger uh, downfield threats overall. Um, but I just I really feel like at this point, you know, you've got to get your best players more involved. I I stand by. Uh, my belief that Jalen Austin is one of the better wide receivers on this team, and you got to get him the football some yeah, way, somehow. Absolutely. Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's a chemistry issue at this point. I don't know. I would give our receivers overall a B. Uh, yeah, the drop passes are a knock, but also realistically, like at this point, Robinson's also missed a lot of throws. Sure. And these numbers could look a lot better sure. right now if Robinson had been a little bit more accurate to this yeah. point. It's, it's an offensive problem. It's not a wide receiver problem. It's right. not a quarterback problem. It's not no line. It's the offense as a whole has some issues. Yeah, absolutely. Running backs. Uh, I don't know what we're doing with the running backs. I don't really understand the strategy at this point. I think we saw maybe what they want to do on Saturday, and that's use Shewu to, to wear down a defense in the first half and then bring Jet back in the second half to really to run over them, and it, it, it didn't work. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Shea played really well, I thought, against Iowa State. Darius never really got into a groove, and he only had two or three touches maybe in the first half. Yeah. And, and he never really broke free for a big one. I, I think that they've got to do a better job of managing the touches of those two guys. And then also I'd love to see them work in Amari DeMarcado more. Yeah. Or do more jet sweeps. Get, get Tay Barber the ball more as a run, in a running situation. Get uh, uh, Turpin the ball more in a running situation. I, just, I think that the running game right now isn't, has not gotten into a flow. And I think part of that is because of the offensive line. I mean, when you don't have good blocking up front, it does make the running game more difficult. Would you be surprised, though, Melissa, to learn that Darius Anderson is the leading rusher on this team so far? Is, is, how, mu- how much of that is on that 93 yards? Uh, he is uh, 54 yards ahead of Shewo. So they're, yeah, so they're basically about And he's only got five fewer carries. Yeah. It, you know, it, does, I think, it, it does not feel that way at all, No, does it? it doesn't. It doesn't. So Shewo's got 58 carries for 262 yards and a touchdown. Darius has 53 carries for 316 yards and two touchdowns. And Sean Robinson has 40 carries for 188 yards and three touchdowns. So realistically, I mean, we talk about, uh, you know, this running disparity between Shewo and Darius Anderson. But realistically, I think they're both getting fewer snaps because you have such a dynamic runner in Sean Robinson. Now, if he's out for a serious amount of time and you have Michael Collins back there, yes, Collins is athletic as well, but you probably want to protect him a little bit more knowing that you've got the mule backing him up now and so now you know if if Sean is out we might really see how much are they going to use Darius versus Shewo uh does that does that balance change at all with Robinson out of the equation um well well, here's what we know Sean Robinson has put the ball in the dirt quite a bit yeah maybe it's 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 time to get the running game going and open up things so that he's not running in traffic as much let him scramble and make plays instead of calling for the design runs and give him an opportunity to, to, to work when he's not being keyed on by the defense. Yeah, you know, it's just so hard, too, though, when, like, the offensive line isn't blocking. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had – I mean, I think Anderson averaged, like, two and a half yards a carry against Iowa State. Uh, when a guy's not effective and when his people aren't, aren't blocking in front of him, you know, and, and quest, there are questions about him being fully healthy still, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, realistically – you know, I think at this point in the season, you know, you've yeah, you've got to figure out something with the running game. But no, it's I not it's not for lack of carries really at this point. I mean, yeah. he's got fit, he's averaging more than 10, 10 yards a, or ten carries a game. I mean, in my in my perfect world, if I were to break it down, if TCU's running the ball thirty eight times a game, yeah, right. I want to see Darius with about eighteen of those carries, eighteen to twenty. Yeah, Shewu with fifteen to eighteen. And Sean, Sean Robinson with four or five, and then and then use some of those more creative running plays. Yeah, I mean, if, now now if he breaks contain and he has an opportunity and it's a run pass option, then yeah, maybe he is running the ball more eight ten times. But I don't yeah. want to see that many design runs out of the quarterback when you have guys who have proven they're really talented players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I and, hear and that. These are these are juniors that have been getting significant snaps since their freshman year. We're gonna pause here for power. There we go. Good deal. Just had, uh, to, just had to plug the old phone in so that the Facebook Live didn't die on us. Yeah. So so we're going to go. I'm going to let you start with this one because this is the hardest one for me to grade. Okay. Quarterback. Quarterback. I mean, let's look at the stats because I think statistically that has to be a part of this equation. Sure. Robinson has 
seven touchdown passes through five games to six interceptions. He's completing all just shy of 63% of his passes. He's thrown for a little over 1,000 yards. He's run for almost 200 yards already, you know, on 40 carries for three touchdowns. So he's responsible for 10 touchdowns. But the turnovers have absolutely yeah. been devastating and at devastating moments yeah. in games. So I, my heart wants to give him a B plus. I'm going to give him a B minus just because those turnovers came at such critical times and they were such momentum killers, especially, you know, the decision to make that throw on the shovel pass against Ohio State, that, that, that was probably worst play number two for me right behind Artavius Lynn. I did the Lynn one because it's kind of lighter, yeah. it's funnier, you know, and yeah. you ended up winning that game. Realistically, that's probably the worst play of the season at this point. To make the decision to actually try and shovel, shovel past that ball rather than just taking the loss and punting it away. Because at that point, TCU's still leading by two, and you still have a chance for yeah. your defense, which has been playing pretty well to that point, to come out and get a stop. Well, so I'm going to go with a B minus. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to stick with you. And I, I'm more tempted to give him a C, but if you factor in the youth, and you factor in, like that shovel pass was terrible, but... Patterson said after that game that that was their call and it was a bad call and they put him in a really bad position there too. Um, it, it's really, really hard to negatively evaluate a quarterback after six games. It's just tough. It's and, even harder and, after five. Well, but it, well last year. <laughs> That's true. He did have yeah. the second. Yeah. And three of those six games, two of them have come in abhorrent weather. Yeah. And, you know, a third of them has come on the national stage and a fourth of them has come against – you know, Texas in a revamped stadium atmosphere. But at the end of the day, like, he's just not getting it done, and it doesn't mean that he can't. It just means that he's not there yet. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've, I tweeted about that after the Texas game, maybe. Maybe it was the Ohio State game. I can't remember. This idea of Sean Robinson sucks is yeah, incredibly premature. It's, yeah, it's completely you know, short-sighted. Uh, if people bought into Kenny Hill sucks enough to where he didn't play in 2017, we don't win 11 games yeah. last year. Uh, you know, young and I got some pushback on Twitter, but I stand by the idea that young quarterbacks sometimes take time. Not every freshman quarterback is Johnny Manziel, yeah. not every sophomore quarterback or is is Kyler Murray or whatever year he is, junior. But he's but he's transferred a thousand times, so yeah. he's basically a sophomore. He's thirty. He's, you know, I mean, so well, not every not every young quarterback is going to come to the college level and then all of a sudden be like a Heisman candidate. Well, I think it's a little bit of a ridiculous expectation. It is. And, and Parker and I talked about this last week on the podcast and that, you know, TCU is not recruiting at the level of Clemson or Alabama or right. even Texas A&M who can recruit great quarterbacks. They just can't keep them. Yeah. These are not five-star finished products that are arriving in Fort Worth. These mm -hmm. are guys that have high ceilings but are, are raw, are very raw. And Sean Robinson, if you watched him play in high school, was about a 50% passer. Yeah. He, he ran as much as he passed, and what he got by on was being a much better athlete than the people he was playing about, even mm -hmm. though he was playing at a really high level in Texas. And so what we have to remember is he came to TCU an unfinished product, and he only had a year of being the backup to develop when 90% of that effort was going into Kenny Hill, who was going on to win 11 games. Yeah. And so if you expect him to be a true sophomore and to be – as good as, as you expect him to be as a senior, then, then that's on you. Because you think Justin Rogers is going to come in and solve those problems? That dude hasn't played in a year and a half. Yeah, he's recovering from an ACL. Yeah, yeah. and so he's not going to solve the problem. You think Michael Collins is going to come in and solve the problem? That dude has never played meaningful snaps in a Division One football game. 
You think he's going to – a guy who was recruited to Penn is going to step right. foot on a Saturday and all right. of a sudden be the answer? These guys take time. This is not a five-star Trevor Lawrence, uh, Jake Browning. It's, it's not one of those types of players. It's a guy with an incredibly high ceiling that needs to be developed, and yeah. that's what we're seeing happen. Unfortunately, development hurts. And sometimes, I mean – you know, and realistically, they, he's not even a Jalen. He's not a Jalen Hurts. He's not a Tua Tagovailoa. Well, he doesn't he's have that a, kind of team around him. And either. no, right. And so you you know, it is you take a holistic look at a team, and then all of a sudden you're saying, okay, well, how much of this really is supposed to be on the quarterback, and how much of this is supposed to be on his pass protection? How much of this is supposed to be on his wide receivers not dropping passes? How much of this is supposed to be on an effective running game? All you, know, you have to do is compare the first six starts of Andy Dalton's career of Trayvon Boykin's career, of Casey Paul's career, yeah. of Kenny Hill's career. And you'll see that Sean Robinson is exactly where those guys were. And we look back on Dalton, Boykin, and Hill, and look at where they took TCU by the end of their careers. Yeah. Are we, are we dissatisfied with no. any of the results of their last year's? No. I, I think some people probably are dissatisfied Kenny, sure. with Kenny, but, yeah. but he also was only here for. Those are the people that expect a national championship every year. Yeah, they've which, been waiting since 1938, yes. so they're just not going to be old. satisfied. Uh, but moving on, let's move to the other side of the ball. <laughs> Give me your grade for defensive line to this point. Oh man, I mean, when you when you think about losing a guy like Ross Blacklock, that that has been as big of a of a loss as we anticipated. But overall, I think they've done a really nice job. I've got to give them an A. You know, Ty Summers has been has been super flexible. Corey Bethley is now taking on the brunt of the attention from opposing offenses. But he's been an absolute menace and a beast. And you think about how good he would be if Ross was next to him. Yeah. It's just unfair. LJ Collier has provided a huge spark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, th- I think we've seen some really good things. They, they are not as good as they could have been. But I think they're as good as they can be at this moment. Ben Vanagoo finally got through for a big play. Um, it's the better the guys around him play, the better he's going to be as the season wears yeah. on. So I, I think I don't think they're doing anything wrong. It'd be nice if you know maybe Ben had made that tackle against uh, uh, what's his name, the quarterback who's now relevant because we played him. Um, Zeb Nolan. Yes, Zeb. Thank you. So, but but at the end of the day, they are causing a lot of havoc. They just aren't quite getting there, and I think that that will come. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I'm going to give them an A minus. Uh, at some point, you know, you have to understand that you aren't, you don't have Ross Blacklock anymore, like you said. But other guys have to step up, yeah. and there have been times late in games, especially Ohio State and Texas, where the running game really started to wear them down. True, that's you know, true. They started that's to get moved out of the way, uh, and, and you know, we've talked a lot about this defensive line getting bigger, but realistically, they've only gotten bigger on the ones. And the twos and the threes are sure. still somewhat undersized, especially at the tackle spot. So, uh, you know, they're, like you mentioned, recruiting a quarterback, the same thing can be said for defensive line. Like, these guys are not coming in as big five-star guys who are ready just to hit the ground running. There's some development that has to happen. And when you talk about George Ellis and Terrell Cooper. And where's Brandon Bowen been the last couple of games? Uh, non-existent. Non-existent. And so you've got two redshirt freshmen, though, that are really trying to fill in yeah. for Ross Blacklock. And they're not, yeah. it's not. It's just not going to happen for you. And so I give them an A-. minus. Uh, if Ross was in the mix still, it probably would be an A at this point yeah. just because he's probably the biggest impact player sure. on defense, especially along the defensive line. Linebackers. Oh, man. I, the, man, the potential is there. You know, Ty, Ty Summers is bouncing back and forth and hasn't really been consistent, but his effort level has been great. Garrett Wallow is going to be a star. Yeah. He just misses a lot of tackles. 
He makes a lot of good tackles, yeah. too, in open space, though. Yeah, but he's good. Uh, um, I've been really excited about what we've seen out of uh, Rico Evans and, and mm-hmm. Alex Dunham. They've been really, really solid. It's probably a minus B plus group as a whole, just because maybe the production isn't what we're used to seeing. We've been so spoiled for the past yeah. six years with Traven Howard and PJ Dawson and guys like that. But ultimately, I, I think they're doing their job. Like they're they're filling their one eleven to use a Gary Patterson coach speak. Um, there's yeah. not you don't look at it and be like man, there's a superstar here. But you look at a really solid for and Juwan Johnson. Juwan Johnson has been great on special teams mm-hmm. and he's been good. In, in the in the base defense packages, so yeah, I mean, I, I think they're I think they've been solid. Yeah, I would agree. I'd probably go B plus, maybe a B. Uh, a lot of missed tackles from the linebackers that have cost TCU, especially on yeah. third down. Uh, yeah, Wallow is going to be probably the next really incredible um, <clears throat> TCU linebacker. He's leading the team in tackles right now with thirty nine through yeah. five games, so that's pretty dang good. I've been less impressed with Rico Evans than you, I think. Uh, and Patterson mentioned this after one game, and so I started looking for it, and it's been happening frequently, is where he gets he gets too close to the line, okay. uh, and then he isn't able to get to his gap assignment, or he's not able to get around a lineman who's trying to block at the next level to stop the run, and so he's kind of getting eaten up in the middle there. Uh, and, and I've noticed that happening. I noticed that happening against Texas, because yeah. Patterson mentioned it after the Ohio State game. Uh, and I noticed it again against Iowa State, and so he's still doing it a little bit. I have been very impressed with Alec Dunham. I mean, you talked about him a little bit. He's a guy who's just been patient. Yeah. You know, and you want every player to be Alec Dunham where they just bide their time until they get a chance, and then they go out and they thrive. I mean, he had a fumble. He had a scoop and score against SMU. He's made some really good tackles in open space. Like, he is exactly what you hope to have in a backup linebacker, and and he's played really well to this point. Uh, So, yeah, I would give them a B. I do think once Wallow really starts to figure out a way – to manage his emotions. Yeah, he just needs to turn it down. Just manage 10%. his emotions and manage his <laughs> motor a little bit. Uh, he is going to be incredibly, incredibly good at that position. Uh, moving on, though, cornerbacks. Where has Noah Daniels been since I've the Ohio State game? No earthly idea. Yeah, I mean, Gladney has been good. Um, he, he's been at times really good, and he's been at times good. Um, you know, Julius Lewis played a lot better against Iowa State than he did against either Texas or Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I expected to see more out of Noah Daniels. He looked really, really solid um, against the Buckeyes. I mean, it's it's probably a B. TC's given up one 50-plus yard play pretty much every single game this year. And, and that's not all the on beast. the secondary. But at the yeah. end of the day, um, we knew that that was going to be a little bit shaky the cornerback mm-hmm. situation this year. And it doesn't look like they've quite figured it out, but that's also a group I expect to play a lot better next Thursday with just this bye week to do some learning. Yeah, I think so. I Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the – I mean, it's tough because they looked so just bad against Texas. Yeah, they and were they, bad against But they Texas. looked so incredibly good against Ohio State. So, you know, you've seen kind of the high-end ability of this unit – with the kind of floor of this unit, and they're pretty far apart. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with a B. Mm, yeah, just a solid B uh, because they have shown that elite ability to cover. Um, I agree. I, I'm asking the same question. I don't know where Noah Daniels is. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they've seen something from uh, Julius Lewis that has led them to keep starting him in practice. I mean, it's got to be something in practice at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the B. I, I mean, Jeff Gladney is 
everything I hoped he would be yeah, this year as the number one corner. Solid. Like, he's yeah. been an incredible cover corner. He's made some really good plays on the ball. Uh, you know, I, I've been really impressed with him, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we've got him around. But sure. beyond, beyond him at this point, I think it sure. is a big question mark at yeah, corner. Yeah, just not sure. Safety, though, I think TCU is probably as deep as they are yep. anywhere else on the team. And I'm going to give the safeties an A. Yeah, I agree. Ennis Gaines has been a revelation He's again been this year. Unbelievable. Nico Small has been really, really good. good, and Markel in his stead. You know, people aren't talking a lot about Ridwan Isahaku. That's a good thing sometimes. But really, guys, he hasn't done anything wrong. guys in the secondary only get talked about when they're yeah. doing something wrong, and we haven't heard anything about Ridwan. Yeah. So, you know, he's been playing really well, especially when you consider that he moved. He, he changed positions in the, in the defensive backfield this year uh, and was expected to start right away again. So, you know, I think across the board, the safeties have played incredibly yeah. well. Talk about run defense. You talk about pass coverage. You talk about it all. They've they've Dennis played. Games is just a menace. Yeah, they've played like you expect. Just a menace. Defensive yeah. backs to play in a Gary Patterson defense. Yeah, they've been great. Uh, special teams. We'll go through these pretty quickly. How do you feel about our punting? Terrible. I don't I understand feel awful it. Awful about our punting situation. Adam Nunez is so good and so solid. He got the spooks. Forgot how to throw the ball or how to punt the ball in the face of a rush. Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael David, Michael. Andrew Jay David. Anthony, Andrew David, Michael David. Um, two first names guy. Um, you know, he, he's been fine. He hasn't been bad, but he's been fine. He hasn't been great. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, we went from a season where I think teams got a total of like 10 return yards against us to now where they're probably averaging close to 10 against us would be my thought process. Yeah. So. People, people miss Jaden Obercrum, and I do. I mean, we've got Song has looked solid. I miss Anson Kelton. Yeah. Because that dude would eat a cheeseburger and then go punt the ball yep. 65 yards yep. down the field and then go back to the sideline and eat another cheeseburger. Yep. And Nunez is a, really, is a really solid situational punter because if you are punting the ball from your 40 in, oh, he's gonna pin you having deep. a guy is going to pin you deep. But yeah. at the end of the day, I don't think we have an answer at that position. And, it, and it's just been, it's been average <laughs> or subpar. Yeah, well, I mean, the question is, is like, yeah, you've got a guy who can, who can pin you deep when you're punting from your own 40. Yeah, but but what happens when you're punting from your own 15? Yeah. Like the other team's going to end up around their own 35, 40-yard line. Uh, field goal unit. I would say I would give Jonathan Song an A at this point just because yeah. he's been perfect. Nunez is an unbelievable holder. Uh, Nunez has done really well in that regard. Long snapper. Cole Bunce isn't playing anymore. Well, he's kickoff I mean, guys, he's, though, he's, and he's kicking it yeah, through the end true. zone. Yeah, that's kicking true. Kicking it through the end zone. You know, like that whole unit seems to be solidifying, which is really nice. Um, kick and punt returns. I mean, they're not giving Turp a chance. Mm-mm. They're just not giving him a chance. I, don't, I think you have to go incomplete there because when Turp has gotten the ball – He's been a beast. The problem is his teams have figured out how to keep him from getting the ball. I was about to say, how much of that is a punt blocking thing versus how much of that is teams just refusing point blank yeah. to give him any sort I of opportunity? I think it's mostly the op- lack of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, incomplete. I, I agree with that. All right, so let's move away from football for a minute because uh, oh, baby. TCU basketball has oh, a top oh, 10 oh, recruiting baby. class yeah. right now. So, so, I, so what? I, have, I have this Canadian friend. Who's big into the NBA? This is basketball. how every bad story starts. No, he, he's big into NBA basketball, and he has made a commitment to follow more college basketball. Okay. And he, he texted me last week, and he says, "You have a visitor, Francisco Farabello, uh-huh. right?" And I have I was like, I have no idea who Do he is. He's like, you is? need to know who he is. So he commits, and so I, I text him when he commits, and, and like turns out that this is one of the kind of this is like a diamond in the rough Gary Patterson recruit here. 
but he will be a four-star if he's not. I think he might be already, but he's going to be a high four-star by the time that he signs on uh, on in November or whenever it is. So uh, there's some exciting things happening around CC basketball. You look at it. The, I've got a piece that I'm working on that I'll eventually finish, and you see the improvement in the recruiting. Yeah, it's but been right now, astronomical. This three, yeah, this is three guys that are the number Four now. eight. No, he, I thought he was three. He's the fourth. So they've got P.J. Fuller, yeah. who is – the number 60 player in the country. Uh, he's a four-star shooting guard. You've Oh, no, you do. Have, you're right. You're a three. Francisco Farabello. I can't do math well, is, but I can do three. I was looking at this list, <laughs> and I didn't I didn't read the names. I was like, oh, three plus. They probably haven't updated Farabello yet. I was wrong. It is three. Farabello, who is rated as a four-star on 24-7 as the number 87 player in this recruiting class at the point guard spot. And then you've got Deontay Smith, who is another top 100 player, small forward guy. So you've got three your, top 100 recruits. You've got two backcourt guys and a frontcourt guy, all of whom are top 100 recruits. You've got Deontay Smith, who is the number 13 player in the state of Florida, which is known for cranking out basketball talent. Uh, and you've got two guys in Farabello and Fuller, who both rank in the top six at their respective positions for this recruiting well, class. Well, and when you look at what, what's like the transitionary time of this year, you're going to lose Alex Robinson. You've got Jalen Smith will be entering his uh, – uh, Jalen. You can do this. Dang it. I totally lost it. You're doing Fisher. great. Jalen Fisher, Fisher That's is going to be entering his seat. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, perfect, good. Yeah, he's going to need it. You guys are kind. Um, so we'll just eat him in front of him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at – Jamie Dixon isn't only recruiting talent, but he's uh-huh. filling needs annually. Yeah. And if you look at what TC is going to be able to do this spring in another loaded Big 12 conference, you look at the talent that they have going forward, what they're getting now that we've never seen on this campus is guys that can come in as freshmen and be difference maker. You're mm-hmm. starting to look at the guys who are going to be on the NBA's radar from the time they set foot on campus, and that is a brave new world for TCU in any sport. It's almost the opposite of what's going on with TCU football recruiting where they're, they're getting better talented players, but they're still having to do a little bit of development. Yes. Whereas – you know, you, like you just said, you've got these freshmen now that can probably be impact players right out of the gate for basketball, and that is a tremendous asset to have when it comes to college basketball where one or two guys can really can turn the program. Make a difference, yeah. You know, you've got – so the Frogs, according to 24-7 Sports, have the number nine-ranked recruiting class in the country, the number two recruiting class in the Big 12 – Behind. Only behind Oklahoma. Behind Oklahoma? Ahead of Kansas. So I'm going I'm to make so a prediction. So let me tell you this. Okay. TCU and Kansas both have three commits. They are both four, they are all four-star recruits, and TCU's class is currently rated higher. That's P.J. Fuller. That is P.J. Fuller. P.J. Fuller. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I'm going to call this, that we are – this spring, going to see TCU basketball in the Sweet 16, depending on the matchups, but I'm, I'm calling this a Sweet 16 team. And for the next four to five years, TCU is going to start expecting to be a Sweet 16 team. Oh. Heady times. Like, yeah. I would love it. I'm telling you right now, I it's happen. I would love it. Let's move along, though, because we do have eventually a chip to eat. Unfortunately, uh, but TCU soccer beat yeah. Texas. I'm kind of interested in soccer for the first time in my Woo. life. Yeah. yeah, no, but this is a big deal, right? Like, it was Texas's first loss of the year. They were a top-ten-ranked team. That was really cool to see. And we uh, dominated them. Yeah. A one-and-nothing win in soccer, soccer is dominating. 
Uh, I don't know much about soccer, but I do know that Eric Bell has turned this program around yeah. in a really quick way. It's, it's been really awesome. And also, uh, Elon McCall has been an incredible, dominating. dominant revelation as a true freshman for TCU Volleyball. She has been the Big 12 Conference Rookie of the Week four times already this year. She led the league again this week or led, yeah, in kills and points per game, uh, per set. And she is leading TCU to one of its best starts out of the gate that it's had in a long time. They're 10-4. and four, They're 2-1 and one in conference. You know, they have a, uh, a big game actually tonight as we're recording against Texas at uh, the Rickle. So hopefully they're doing well right now. Well, and, um, and, and the thing with volleyball is you, it's not one of those things where one or two players can immediately turn your program around, but one or two highly rated recruits can. And Jill yeah. Kramer has been quietly building, 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 kind of in the way that Gary Patterson did in the early parts of his tenure. Yeah. And this, that program is on the verge of a breakout. We're not going to see it this year, I don't think. But if you start looking at next year and the year after with the, with the recruits that she's already brought in and the, and the kids that she has committed – uh, TC, TC Volleyball is going to be a powerhouse. Unfortunately, they just happen to play in a conference that's full of powerhouses, including Texas, which is one of the best programs annually in the country. Yeah, absolutely. But she's, but she's recruiting at a high enough level to compete. This will be a really good marker, I think, for, for that sure. team for, for this sure. season. Uh, let's move around to uh, a couple college football news and notes. Uh, there are three, I think, really funny kind of storylines here this, this week. The first one is one that I think we've actually talked about on the podcast yeah, before. I think, I think I've told this story before, but it's about Mike Leach when he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, 1999, Red River Shootout, because it's always going to be the shootout, and he leaves a fake epic. script epic. on the field uh, at the Cotton Bowl, and Texas defensive coordinator picks it up and looks at it and goes, oh my God, Mike Leach has accidentally left their first quarter script on the field we're going to use this to our advantage you're wrong texas because what mike leach jokingly did with kale gundy uh brother of mike gundy was to make a fake script so brilliant to fake script the first few series for oklahoma and uh not just like make up random plays but to make plays that would actually open up the defense for the actual plays that they were going to run. So on the second play of the game, they run a fake screen and roll a guy out to the right, throw a 55-yard touchdown bomb. And they are, and, and in a game where Texas is heavily favored, Oklahoma jumps out to a 17 to nothing lead. Now, eventually, Texas threw that fake script away. They didn't know what the heck was going on, and they do come back. They won that game 38-28, to so... You know, there's a comeback there that doesn't get talked about as much, but this is such a funny story, and and Mike Leach goes full Mike Leach uh, in some of these quotes. I want to read you one of these quotes uh, where he was talking about um, kind of their process for actually coming up with this idea. He says, you kind of start out joking around about it, and then it's like, all right, screw it. Why not? Let's do this. And then we had to think of stuff to put on it. Um, he says, with a fake play call, we wanted to complement it. We would run something that would hopefully attack the space that we created by what they thought the play was going to be. So they just they sat down, they looked at their actual script, and they said, no, all right, we're going we're gonna to run this, but we're going to tell them that we're running this, and hopefully our, our actual play will be more effective because of it. It's amazing. Um, it's just it's a, it's a brilliant 
it's 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 just a brilliant kind of funny little story uh, that just gives you a little look into the mind of Mike Leach uh, and and a mind of the of a rivalry. Um, the next story, which is a little weird, so Penn State apparently uses helicopters to control rowdy tailgaters. Like, they'll just fly a helicopter over the tailgate and then lower the helicopter and start speaking through a megaphone at these people, just saying, like, you're being too rowdy. I really want to talk about having concerns about tailgating, but all the things that went on there not that long ago. No. Anywho, moving right along. But they've stopped that now. Well, good. Because a helicopter this past weekend flew too close to the ground. And the wind from the blades of the helicopter started blowing tailgate tents all over the place. Amazing. Like knocking things Penn over. State. What are you uh, doing? It sent tents and other things flying. Uh, so that's a problem that Penn State has, apparently, that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, and the last thing that we needed to touch on before we start making picks and getting into questions is Jimbo and the face mask. Yeah, I have a problem with this. You do have a problem with this? I do this? have a problem with it. Um, and, and, it's, and it's one of those things where I know I'm immediately going to get, well, that you never played football, so you don't understand things. Right. But I've been a coach for over 20 years. I've uh-huh. coached hundreds of kids, boys and girls, all age levels through college. Right. Um, I, I think that we have a problem in football with that toxic masculinity that uh-huh. leads to things like we saw at Maryland. Okay. Um, and, and I think that, that we have to get the past the point of excusing bad behavior because it's football and it's different because it's tough and it's football. I yeah. understand curtailing a bad behavior. If this player was about to get in a fight, there are ways to redirect him that don't involve grabbing him by the face mask and jerking him around on national television. Yeah. And while I can understand, I, have, I've, I, I coached third and fourth grade boys basketball, and I had a kid get in a fight once on the court. And, and I literally, the play moved forward. I'll never forget this moment. The play moved forward. The, the fight was happening in the backcourt. I ran onto the court in my dress pants and dove and split up the fight. And in that <laughs> moment, I wanted to grab that kid by the jersey and uh-huh. shake him. But right. I didn't. I did grab him by the jersey, and, and I held him tight. And I walked him off the court, and I sat him down, and I explained to him like this was never going to happen again and why it was unacceptable and why that behavior is not the way that we're going to represent ourselves. Yeah. Is a fourth grade boy. It's a little different than mm-hmm. a college age man. Um, I would like to see us get away from justifying this testosterone fueled reaction. Yeah. Because it's football, because domestic abuse, you know, forcing kids to work out to the point to where they die. To me, this, this all comes together in a very dirty little package and bow and. I think that we're creating bad behaviors and then justifying them because of the sport, and that's why we have so many issues surrounding the game. I hear that. I don't disagree. I, I also understand that as a head coach, sometimes you lose your temper. Sure. And, you know, adults are allowed to lose their temper too. Uh, it didn't manifest itself in the best way. Um, I think you should have apologized for it. But realistically, you know, I think that, uh, yes, it's wrong. Yes, it shouldn't have happened. But... Let's just move on. Um, I'll say this. I've seen Gary Patterson lose his temper plenty. He's never he's never I've never yeah. seen him touch a player. Yeah, I've never seen him grab a And he is mask. he is well known as one of the angriest, spittingest coaches in college football, right? Yeah. He has that reputation. I saw him 
just chew Nico Small out at the Ohio State game. Yeah. But you know what I didn't see him do? Put his hand on him. Yeah. And, and now he'll me, get close to you. He'll get close. He'll, he'll get, he'll get an inch away from your face. You need to talk to him, too, at, at yeah. those moments, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, I think as an adult, you have every right to lose your temper. You're a parent. I'm not a parent. But I work with kids, and there have been times when I have lost my temper. But my reaction is not to physically grab yeah. a kid because that just is not the way that I want to respond in those situations. And yeah. I think that as a head coach of a major program, getting paid $75 million, that's being watched by millions of people every week, you have to be above reproach in that situation. We all lose our temper. Mm-hmm. But Jimbo, be better. Yeah. Be better. I agree. I hear that. I understand where you're coming from, too. I, I think we can agree to disagree, but or, or not really disagree, but I can see both yeah. sides of it. I just I wish you would have been better. L- let's move on to making some picks because yeah, we've got uh, a, we've got chip, a chip to eat, and we've got some uh, patient people that are watching on the Facebook Live and some patient people that are here at Dutch's Locker Room hanging out with us tonight for the Frogs War Podcast Live at Dutch's Locker Room. So let's do this. Melissa, quick hits. Texas, Oklahoma, Red River Shootout, 11 o'clock on uh, Fox this Saturday. Who you got? I hate it so much. Texas is winning this football game. There's no way. There's no way. They're too high. They're too – Texas has only won this game in recent history when they have not been expected to, and a lot of people are expecting them to. So give me Oklahoma. Give me Oklahoma. Let's see. The line is Oklahoma by eight. I think that the Sooners cover. All right. I'll I'll take Texas in the points. I think the Sooners cover. Uh, Moving on. Kansas goes to Morgantown. The, the line cannot be high enough for this football game. West Virginia by four touchdowns. Seems about right. I'll take, I'll take the ears and the points. So a couple of weeks ago, I put a poll out in the field. <laughs> uh, you were do right. Do you think Kansas right. will lose out after that Rutgers win? Or after the uh, Central Michigan win? Or will they win two or more games? Most people said win two or more games. Yep. I would like to say that as someone in the minority on this issue, that Jamie I was right. Jamie was right. Jamie was right. Uh, Iowa State goes to Oklahoma State. I don't know anything about either of these teams. I just don't think Iowa State can score enough to keep up with Oklahoma State because they'll, they'll, Oklahoma State's going to score 25 points. Yeah, I don't know so that are, Iowa State at can. At least. Yeah, so I I, give, I mean, me the, give me the Cowboys. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Oklahoma State covers just because Iowa State tends to play Big 12 people close these last several years, and the line is uh, it's, it's 10 and a half. Uh, but give me give me Iowa State in the points, but give me Oklahoma to win that game outright. Uh, Kansas goes to Baylor. Kansas State goes to Baylor. That's a crappy game. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, Bill Snyder's mad, which I love. Dean had a great little bit about Bill Snyder being angry yeah. uh, and his uh, beyond the fort. Uh, I, I'm going to take Baylor just because I think they have a quarterback, and Kansas State doesn't have one. Hey, but shout out to Matthew McCrane, former Kansas State kicker, made the game-winning field goal for the Oakland Raiders against Baker Mayfield and the Browns last weekend husband of one of my former students so ready to go Matthew. there you go very cool very cool uh some other big games that are happening also around. i'm old enough that my student former students have gotten married so that's where we're at in life it's good it's all good yeah. welcome welcome good. to the club we're good uh we've got a couple other big games that are happening around the country uh first you've got quarterback questions now at clemson with kelly bryant transferring and trevor yeah. lawrence hurt and they've got a wake forest team that's not awful yeah, but not bad. Uh, they have to like go to Wake Forest. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's going to play. He said it was more of a neck issue than a head issue, so yeah. give me Clemson. But that's going to be something to watch. Give me Clemson, season. too. They really, really struggled last week uh, with Boston. No. Um, who did Clemson almost lose Syracuse. to? Syracuse. But Syracuse is a really good football team. That's Syracuse a legitimately good football Syracuse team. Syracuse looks pretty good. 
Uh, but Clemson struggled more than they probably should have. You've got yeah. LSU going to Why is Gainesville. Florida ranked? Florida wins a game, and all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, they're good again. Now, Florida's yeah. garbage. Give me the Tigers. Yeah, the Tigers are going to win that game. You've got a really bad Florida State team visiting a really good Miami Yeah, Miami's program. finally picked it Miami's going to roll. Back well. uh, ESPN, or Fox is, Fox is trying to hype up Indiana against Ohio State. <laughs> Nope. So there's that. Kentucky A&M. That is that's going to be I'm a really watch. interesting game. That's a game I'm going to watch this weekend. Uh, I can't wait for Kentucky to win in College Station. Uh, you know, I'm a big Benny Snell fan, but I think I think the Aggies get it done. Uh, so Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, and now they host Notre Dame. Yeah, this is probably Notre Dame's best chance for a loss this year, the rest of the season. We are looking at a Notre Dame playoff team, guys. It's going to happen. Talk to your kids about it. Yeah, talk so to let's your kids see. about play... Notre Dame. Going to the playoffs. Yeah, you're right, because after Virginia Tech, they host Pitt. They host Navy. They go to Northwestern, which, did you see what happened with the Northwestern running back? No, he I retired. saw it post, but. He retired. Yeah. He had, like, some sort of spinal, like, uh, degenerative spine issue, and so he just retired from football. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, but they go to Northwestern, Notre Dame does. They host Florida State, who's garbage this year, Syracuse. But it's at Notre Dame. Yes. At Notre Dame, and then they go to USC. Trash. So you're right. This might be the last opportunity for Notre Dame and to I don't lose think a game. Without Josh Jackson, Vautech's not getting it done. Probably not. Ian Book is legit. Yeah. Sad. He has. All right, let's get to questions really quickly. Yep. You ready? Uh, Gerard on Twitter asks, uh, combined our starting receivers have caught a total of 49 balls, and 29 of those have come from Rager. Is seniority playing a part here, or are the younger receivers just not ready to compete? Yeah, I think we answered that well. Rager's the better of any of them, and Robinson has a comfort level with him, but we've got lots of questions of why the balls are going where they are. And Rager's a sophomore? Yeah. So he is a, he's, he's a young guy yeah. still. Uh, you've got another one from Gerard. Uh why haven't the coaches given other receivers like Darius Davis and Trevante Heights more opportunities? Uh, I think it starts with showing something in practice, and maybe yeah. they just haven't done that yet. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really know. Uh, Russell asks, has anybody put out an APB for the missing alumni sitting between the 20s lower level west side of the stadium? I fear for their health. Yeah, the, the, the crowd's going to need to be a lot better Thursday night. I made the mistake of talking yeah. a little crap to Texas Tech Twitter about attendance and their game against that. West Virginia. It was deserved. I mean, they've got a school of 30,000 kids or whatever in a stadium that's not much bigger than ours. Yeah. We that's still are up for ranked games. But we'll see. The, the next Thursday, we're really going to need people in purple to show out because yeah. you know there's going to be a ton of Red Raiders there. Yes, there are. Uh, Ace on Twitter asks, what's more likely – Big 12 officials figure out what defenseless means, or Sasquatch emerges from the Oregon Cascades and introduces himself. I'm going to go one further. It's more likely the NFL figures out what a catch is. They, uh, Isaac asks, if Texas beats Oklahoma, are they officially back? They're back. If they beat Oklahoma, they're back. Dang uh, it. I hate that, but they it's, are. They're not going to beat Oklahoma, so no, they're not back. You want to bet uh, a chip on it? Hang on. Developing story. We, <laughs> we have a Sooner fan who might be willing to do a one-ship challenge bet on the UTOU game this, Start uh, the this coming Saturday. Uh, our best friends in the blogosphere over at Wide Right Natty Light ask, why does Gary Patterson refuse to respond to accusations that he's a lizard person? When does a superhero ever reveal that they're a superhero, Levi? They don't. Also, Levi hung out with us last week. He was real happy before the game. Less happy after, but good dude. If you're not following Wide Right Natty Light, give him some love. You need to. 
You need to. Uh, TCU Frog Fanatic asks, why did we punt at Texas? Gary Patterson plays to win the game. Yep. Derek asks, how effective are our bubble screens this year compared to past years? Seems like we're losing a lot on the wide receiver blocking battles this year, and it's a less effective weapon. Same with slants. Um, and then he's got a couple other questions too, but let's start with the bubble screens. I think that they are as effective. Uh, I think that tempo coupled with those yeah. screens has been really effective early in games, but they get away from it. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, are the offensive and defensive lines playing at the level that we should expect or something different? I think the defensive line without Ross Blacklock is playing at the level yeah. that we should expect, and I think we should expect more from the O-line at this yep, point. Yep, I agree. Uh, and how do we get our swag back to stay and win out? You gotta, if you beat Texas Tech at home on Thursday night, that starts to build a lot of positive momentum. Are we going to win out? No, I don't think I don't so. Think so either. I, at Morgantown, even if you get Oklahoma somehow at Morgantown, is going to be a really tough game in November. Um, but if you can get some confidence for a young team and you can win the games you're supposed to win, beat Texas Tech, beat Oklahoma State at home, beat Baylor, beat Kansas State, you're looking at four more wins. I could live with a seven or eight win TCU football team this year. I hope they get to eight. Yeah, eight. I feel really good about eight. Uh, even if Sean Robinson, this is Bakai from the website, even if Sean Robinson is healthy, should we see more of Michael Collins? I mean, Gary wants to see more of Michael Collins. I would, I would rather keep the guy in that's going to win football games, whoever that ends up being. We're getting hammered on Twitter right now from the people that are present. Oh, God. <laughs> We're not eating this chip One yet. Chip. Uh, One chip. Let's see. We'll skip some of these questions, I suppose, so we can get into this chip thing. Um, hey, 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 hey. Uh, so let's see here. Mountain Man Jim, who is the one who bought this chip for us and had it shipped from North Carolina. So thank you, Mountain Man Jim, I guess. Uh, Mountain I Man you. Jim asks... What's the more depressing Waco fire? The TCU campus burning down or the current state of Baylor? But would you rather be in Waco, though? Yeah, I mean, for us, thank so, you. So maybe it's not depressing that TCU burned down yeah. at all. Uh, you know, I, th I think we're going to find out a lot more this spring about Baylor, but lack of institutional control. Yeah. We could be seeing some serious NCAA penalties coming down on that program, which means we could also see Matt Rule leave for the NFL this year. Another question from Mountain Man Jim. Who has Hulk-like fire on the football team and who has Thor-like fire I, I on the football marvel. team? I don't marvel. I'm so sorry, So this is Jim. Thor Ragnarok reference where Hulk looks at Thor and says, Hulk-like raging fire, Thor-like smoldering fire. All I know is Thor's pretty smoldering. Uh, oh. gift. Okay, moving yeah. right along. Uh, <laughs> um, Chris on Twitter asks, if Sean is out for an extended period of time, how do we build the offense around Michael Collins to ensure that our trajectory stays the same? It feels like we should, uh, we would need to shake up the pieces around him and not just slot What are you going to shake up? Are you going to pull it to Valen Tun on the field? I mean, Collins yeah. is probably a more accurate passer. It has a good arm, but I don't think he has Sean Robinson's deep ball. And he's not going to be as much of a running threat. Maybe you continue to play more of the short medium game and, and mix in some deep balls. It's probably more the Kenny Hill offense, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. <sighs> okay. It's time. It's time. All right, folks. You have been waiting. Hold on. Let me make sure I get this on Twitter. All right. Hang on. All right, folks. So we're going to... Can gonna... someone uh, live stream this? So we're going to keep the live stream on for this, podcast listeners. Uh, we're going to eat this chip and then try that to do the outro good. and turn off the podcast so that I can die in peace. Uh, oh, man, there are people that are so close. Oh, my heart is beating so fast. Okay. 
Does anybody have like a paper towel or something that I can pick this up with? Just hand me the paper towel. Okay. Uh, wow. Uh, oh, so that's a good question. Uh, why is this happening? So this is the payout. It's not really a bet that I made, but it was a proclamation that I made during the 2017 football season as TCU went to Norman to play Oklahoma in their regular season game. We had talked about how good TCU's run defense had been to that point. Uh, they had only allowed like two rushing touchdowns all year. Uh, and so I made the, the claim. The long story to avoid the I made the claim that uh, Oklahoma as a team would not run for more than 200 yards against TCU. They ran for 201 yards against TCU, including 151 from Rodney Anderson on the ground uh, and about 40-something from, from Baker. Uh, Rodney Anderson also had 139 yards receiving that game because hey. our – I'm moving right along. I'm frustrated. All right, so uh, we've got the box here. Uh, It does say any last words on the inside of the box, and my last words are, I'm so sorry to Rodney Anderson for doubting you. Oh, that is is the whole thing. The whole package is the chip. This is going to be bad. Oh, all of the dust is coming out. It's such a shame. Hold on, hold on. Let's just, let me just, right. let me just, let me do this for you. I'm so sorry, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink the beer. That's worse. That's got too much water in there. I'm going to cry. That's, I don't have any milk. Does anybody want the dust? Do you want the dust? Okay. All right. Thank you. There's a door right there. Yeah, that's not gonna be great. Okay. You have two children. How do you want to say goodbye? I love you. I'm sorry that you're gonna grow up without me. Um. Okay. So where should I? I'm trying to figure out the best way to like pick it up. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Use, use that. Use that. Oh, you know, you got to eat it fast. Like that's so. I've spent a lot of time today and yesterday watching YouTube videos of this happening, and I've decided that eating it as fast as you can will do better for you. This is going to be awful. This has been the Frogs of War podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Trebowasser. I'll probably be here alone next time. Subscribe on iTunes to Frogs of War by Frogs of War. Anywhere. I got you. Hang on. Any, anywhere that iTunes uh, or that podcasts are found. Podbean, uh, iTunes. Pretty much anywhere. Frogsofwar.com. Anywhere that you can see a podcast happening with your ears. That is where our our podcast will hey, be. Hey, Jamie, how are please, you feeling right now, buddy? It's not great. It's getting worse. Uh, <laughs> please leave us a review. Please, God, leave me a review. Uh, it's his dying, it's his deathbed wish. It's my dying leave wish. Us a good oh. review. Oh. Okay, so. 
I will say, <laughs> there's still chip in there. That's not great. Uh, so I've done the Hot Ones Wing Challenge before. <sighs> and that was extraordinarily hot. Um, and this is right about... This is right about with the second hottest wing, uh, which was Mad Dog 357. It's not great. I'm starting to sweat. (laughs) Don't touch your eyes. It's not good. It's not bad, but it's not good. Oh, Oh, look at a hero. Stay blessed. What a hero. What a hero. I'm going to go without it for now. Um... Oh! <laughs> you touched his eyes. Yeah, but Chris, <coughs> Kristen Bell has given birth multiple times. I'm going to go without it for now, 20 seconds later. <laughs> uh. Uh. Okay, it's really bad. Uh. I feel like I'm doing better, though, than some of the guys that we watched today. I feel like I did better than Mike Golick. Mountain Man Jim is really happy. He feels like his investment paid off. Oh. Oh, guys, he's he's crying. It's not great. Hi. Hi. Oh. I mean, I still can feel it on my tongue. It's rough. Wait, what did he bring? Oh, he brought a loaf of bread. I respect brought slider buns. My respect level just went up. Salt? <sighs> oh, because it's the alkaline, huh? I'm good. It's hot. All right, so it's not as hot. So... The two, um, the hey. two last wings. One was Mad Dog three fifty seven. That's three hundred fifty seven thousand on the Scoville unit. Scoville scale. This is one point five million. They feel about the same because um, because everything's going numb. But also, <laughs> I think so. I think I just put it on my nose. Will someone give me a different paper towel? Yeah. The good news is it only has 10 calories. That's nice. You didn't blow your diet. Um, the thing with the, Mad Do- with the Mad Dog 357, though, with that sauce, is that it's like not even, there's no flavor, right? Like, this has chipotle powder in it, so it's got a little bit of chipotle flavor, which is nice. But, um. Matt, <laughs> stop it. Hi. Come on in. Um, this has more flavor than the Mad Dog 357, and so that's helping. The hottest sauce that we did that day was the last dab, uh, which is 3.3 million on the Scoville. So it's a little bit more than twice as hot, theoretically, as this. Uh, but it also had, like, a mango flavor to it. And so it was really actually quite delicious. This, like, it's still, I think I built it up in my head. Um, like, it's, it's hot. It's really hot, <laughs> but it's not, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, I, am, I am a little weepy, though. On that note, this is 
This has been the Frog Lore Podcast. I'm Mr. Blosser. I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm still standing. Oh, that last bit of milk did it. It's not even bad anymore. We'll see y'all next month. Next week. Next Next month. Dutch's locker room. Next week. Previewing TCU Texas Tech. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.